And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Spear, the Boston Globe, talking mostly Red Sox. What the heck is going on with the Red Sox right now? I uh, And we'll also talk a little bit about some uh, related Major League topics. For folks who subscribe to The Athletic, I have been busy because the Major Leagues have been busy, and that's generally how that happens. I have written up just about all of the major free agent signings through yesterday, um, including, I guess, the most recent ones were... Xander Bogart's going to the Padres, which, of course, Alex and I are going to talk about quite a bit. And the Mets signing Kodai Senga from NPB, one of the more, probably the most notable player coming over from either Japan or Korea this winter. And uh, someone on whom I got some pretty interesting and diverse views from scouts who'd seen him. I'd not seen Senga personally. Um, I haven't seen, uh, I actually hope I will finally get to see some NPB and or KBO players again. Somewhere through the WBC, which would be the first time in quite some time that I've been able to do that, um, which uh, last time I did turned out to be pretty useful. In fact, I remember the first time I was able to do that, watching the entire NPB pitching staff come in from the bullpen, and here's this whole group of guys, and oh, who's that guy who's five inches taller than anyone else on the team? Oh, that's you, Darvish. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's going to be pretty good. I also wrote up the Sean Murphy trade, the three-team Sean Murphy trade. Murphy goes from Oakland to Atlanta, but I actually thought the team that came out the best was Milwaukee, who sort of inserted themselves into the deal and I think made out particularly well. For folks who follow me for board game content, I did uh, go to PAX Unplugged, the great board game convention that's held here in Philadelphia every December and wrote up a piece for Paste Magazine on everything that I played or demoed, saw while I was there. And this week is December 13th as I'm recording this, and later today I'll be writing and filing my top board games, new board games of 2022 piece, which is always a little bit, uh, I don't know if I'd say bittersweet, maybe, but certainly stressful. But the problem is I can't play them all, unfortunately. I, I play a lot of games, but I can't play them all. And there are games I have in the house, in my review queue, that might make that list, and I just haven't gotten to them yet because I have a job. Also, for those of you who follow me for uh, music content, which I just do on my own blog, and no, nobody pays me for music content, at least not yet, I will be doing my best new top songs of 2022. I do a top 100 every year and my top albums, a number that varies every year based on essentially how many albums I thought were any good in that particular year. I thought were really good. I am particularly hard on albums because I think a lot of albums are two or three good songs. And then a bunch of filler. And I understand the album as a format has is certainly struggling in the streaming era. I 
go back and forth. I listen to singles far more than I listen to albums. But also, if an album's got five, six or more good songs, I I really want to highlight that. I think it's worth highlighting that. And so I will do those posts the week of December 19th. Now it's my pleasure to be joined by my longtime friend, Alex Beer. He covers the Red Sox for the Boston Globe. He's the author of the book Homegrown, How the Red Sox Built a Champion from the Ground Up, which is about the 2018 Red Sox, which was about a century ago, I think. If you Certainly, if you look at the roster, it feels that way. Yeah, Harry Hooper was uh, was part of that team, I think, uh, in, based on uh, based on how far ago that feels. It's uh, yes, I, I think that um, yeah, uh, if it was homegrown, now it's like now it's uh, home gone. I suppose uh, is the coming yes. uh, sequel. Um, we in the paperback version, we it it was the beginning of the dissolution of that group. Um, with uh, that, there was an afterward with uh, right after the Mookie Betts trade and after the transition from. Dave Dombrowski to Chaim Bloom, but whoa, I, I'm not sure that I would have thought when it was published three years ago that everyone except for Devers would have been gone. Yeah. Well, how about, so we'll start with Xander Bogarts, where, you know, I think that he's gone took everyone by surprise, that they were outbid by San Diego took everyone by surprise. I believe you reported, might have been end of last week, that they weren't even close to what the Padres ended up bidding. So, yeah, I also viewed that as a little bit of a microcosm of what's going on with the Red Sox, where this ain't the team that they'd been for the previous 15 plus years or so. So why don't we start with that? What do you know about, you know, what have you reported about them not being close and, and why? Because it seemed all along like he was a core player they should be trying to keep. Yeah, well, I, I suppose there are a couple of things. So the question about uh, the, this being the Red Sox of the last 15 years Maybe. Uh, they certainly aren't the Red Sox that they were under Dave Dombrowski when they were setting the market, when they were the ones setting, made, signing David Price to a record-setting seven-year, $217 million deal, and Chaim Bloom was hired to not do that sort of deal, to not set the market uh, in free agency, and instead to create the next homegrown group, the next wave of guys um, who are going to be in, who are going to anchor what they hope are championship ambitions with, uh, with high-end players, but not highest end players. So uh, shopping in, I, I don't know, I, I don't shop much, but, you know, maybe Nordstrom's instead of like, instead of Tiffany's, right? Um, and wh where the Red Sox went on Xander Bogarts was uh, was to a slightly higher AAV than what the Padres ended up signing. They were right around 27 million bucks a year, uh, but it was on a much shorter term. So it was six years and about 160, 162 million dollars in their last formal offer. They had there had been some sense that they would be willing to go above that uh, with the end game on Bogarts, but nowhere near the number of years that the Padres went to uh, at an AAV that that was between twenty five and twenty six million bucks a year for eleven years. So uh, the size of the guarantee was massive. Uh, it was going to be over a hundred million dollars. The Red Sox were never going to go to two hundred million dollars um, on Bogarts um, based on what they based on where they view his uh, on how they project his value uh, moving forward. The difficult part is the market has moved. And so you have to kind of reassess. Um, you have to kind of reassess based on what you think a player's performance is going to be, what his value is going to be. The just the I, I think the hard part for Red Sox fans um, is that, you know, this was a beloved player. This was a player who was who had pushed Scott Boris once to do an extension at what qualified then as a below market rate of six years and 
120 million bucks, but with the opt out that Scott Boris said, I'll do this. I don't want to do this, but you got to give you, there has to be, you know, a little give back. And, you know, and that ended up being um, a fantastic element uh, for Boris and for, and for Bogarts. Um, but if the Reds, it, it, had the Red Sox, had the Red Sox started essentially where they finished, had they approached Bogarts in spring training after signing Trevor's story to six years and 144 million bucks and said, we'll give you, we value you. You are the anchor of our team. We'll give you six and one fifty. Then I think they would have probably gotten a deal done um, based on what I know about Bogarts and how much he valued being in Boston. That's not how they approached it. They approached it of, you know, you have three years and $60 million left. We'll give you, we'll throw in an extra year and push that up to, you know, to four and 90. And then it was like, eh, eh. The negotiations just kind of sputtered like uh, like a balloon that is losing all of its air. Uh, yeah, that's, I wish I had sound effects on this podcast. That would be a good way to conclude that that particular comment. And do you think the fact that the Trevor Story deal in, I mean, that I didn't love the deal at the time. And in year one, he was not good. He had, uh, you know, arguably the worst or second worst offensive year of his career. He was also moved over to second base. I assume at this point they'll move him back to shortstop, at least temporarily, perhaps waiting for prospect Marcelo Mayer to ar- arrive at some point, probably about two years or so, if all goes well. But do you think that the story deal, not looking great after one year, further soured the Red Sox on doing such a long-term deal, whether it's eight years, nine years, 11 years, whatever. I mean, at, at a certain point, you're just talking about a ridiculous number of years where it is at that point, you know, I looked at that deal, the Turner deal, et cetera, saying, look, look it's the dollars or the years might be 11. But what are the dollars and what, what is the total dollars? And if you think of this as an eight-year deal, does it still look reasonable? I think the Bogarts deal probably doesn't. If you think of this as, hey, they were just spreading out the money and what would this be, a seven or eight-year deal, et cetera. It's a really, really long deal and it's probably not going to look very good at the back end. Do you think that the story deal going south may have changed their opinion at all on what to do with Bogarts? I don't. Um, I think that uh, I think that story, they actually, you know, I, I think that they still, they feel pretty good about story's tools. I think that uh, story showed... Um, had, story had a rough transition to the Red Sox, um, where the first month of the season was kind of a uh, a lost cause for a number of reasons. Uh, he signed late in spring training. Uh, he then had to leave camp almost immediately because uh, he and his wife had their first child. So congratulations to him. Uh, but then gets back late in camp. And then after that, uh, he got sick almost as soon as the season started and like really sick. Uh, it wasn't COVID, but he was, you know, but he was basically like a shell of a shell of a player for the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, so then was just way off time, just way off time through the first month of the season, then got on time and was about as productive a hitter as there was uh, in the big leagues in the month of May. He hit home runs in just astonishing uh, in, in an astonishingly compressed period of time. He showed power. He showed, you know, he showed outstanding defense at second base. I think they really, really liked the look of him at second. He had speed. Um, there were a lot of elements to like, uh, but then, you know, but then kind of went a little sideways, got injured, broke a, like just a, a fluky injury where he got hit by a pitch, broke a, you know, broke a wrist. Uh, and so the, it was, it was a, a season that was rough from a transitional standpoint and from a, and thus from a performance standpoint. But I think that they still feel pretty good that they, 
that he was the right player to make that kind of deal with. And I think that they feel good about the ultimate upside of that deal, that um, that there's a pretty good chance that the return on investment for a story is okay. So I think that they're, I don't think that they're, they're washing their hands of the, uh, of the, of the kind of nine figure contract. Um, I do think that they care a lot about the term of the contract and they were, they're not willing to go to that same area that the Padres and the Phillies and the Mets have been willing to go to uh, recently, which is to say, like, if, if things go sour in, uh, you know, in the 2030s, who cares? <laughs> we're right. going for titles in the 2020s. Yes. Well, Boston will be underwater by that point anyways. The sea level rises, and so that won't well, – none of this all. will matter. Yes, yes, yes. exactly. Uh, San well, Diego, so I understand, is coastal. So, you know, they could have – Yes, that that's, that's what I've heard. Exactly. Yeah. This is the Diamondbacks' long game. Right? They will be the only team that is not underwater. Um, it'll be 130 degrees at game time every day, but that's fine. You can go to, so the, can what, go to the beach right, by, right down the street from the park, though, so it's This great. is true. Absolutely. Yes, it'll just be out where what used to be Buckeye will now be the Arizona coast. So what, so what does all this imply then for Devers? Because I have seen this, you know, as a bit obviously – coming from an outsider sort of, you know, not covering a specific team, just looking at them from a little bit of more of a distance, figuring you got to keep one of those two, right? You develop two superstars. And I'm not sure I wouldn't just rather have Devers just flat out. And certainly there are little things about Bogart's performance last year that give me some pause about making the long-term commitment. Okay, well, now, now he's gone. So you either keep Devers or you keep neither of them. Do you think this tells us that they are more likely to keep Devers because they lost Bogarts or are they less likely because of everything you just said about their unwillingness to do one of these very long-term deals? Yeah, I think that the uh, the appetite for it is going to be a bit different with Devers for a couple of reasons. The first being he's younger, right? Like he's going to – he's entering his age 26 season. Bogarts, uh, Bogarts is entering his age 30 season. Um, and I, I think that uh, if you kind of follow the dots, like – a lot of their signing decisions are driven by does a guy hit a ball hard? <laughs> There's uh, they, yeah. their, their decisions. There are worse things to to base your decisions on. Yeah, and there, so there's there's exit velocity, a, a, average exit velocity, frequency of you know hard hit rates um, plays a big role in terms of their appetite to assume uh, more risk and uh, into kind of target guys. Endeavors hits the ball really really hard on a very consistent basis, um, which suggests that there's uh, you know, there's that's a uh, that tends to be a skill that holds up, I think, um, and one that holds up into uh, mid 30s. So, you know, I, I think that there's I, I, I don't think that they're crazy about going to a decade or more with Devers. But I also think that, um, number one, he's super important to what they're doing. Like, I don't really see where else they're going to be getting a, a middle of the order star like that. Uh, if they are reluctant to make these kinds of deals, it's going to be awfully hard for them. You have one. You have one, and you can, uh, and you don't have to bid against the market where they're now losing at the high end of it. Um, so I think that they're going to have to stretch really far, and I, I think that they're they're kind of backed up against a wall to some degree. the The hard thing for them is that you know is that the market for Devers is probably now moving too, because whereas he you know he had one very high asking price, and I believe it was you know it started it was in the three hundred plus million dollar range which is tricky for a third baseman who isn't a great defender, right? That was, that's, that's not, you know, he's not Machado. He's not Arenado, but he was targeting, 
more money than they were getting, I think. Um, and now he's going to be targeting perhaps even more than that because they haven't got, already gotten a deal. So yeah, the market keeps moving, which uh, will they move within it? Gosh, it's it's hard for them in Boston to just keep passing on everyone and saying the, the money got too ridiculous. That was another one of sort of my macro questions for you is because but what I hear from readers is this is Heimblum. This is he's he's missed on this. He didn't sign this guy, traded bets and didn't get enough, et cetera. And my sense having I know Heim, I haven't talked to him about any of this stuff, but just my sense from afar is that this is more dictated by ownership than some sort of specific baseball philosophy of we're never signing anyone. I think it's easy to come from a distance and say, well, he comes out of Tampa Bay. They didn't have any money, so they didn't want to sign anyone. Whereas I think if you know the Tampa Bay people, they'd like to sign all these guys. Mm. It's literally just, we can't, you know, they often, I think on Freddie Freeman, they had a competitive offer, but of course they were ultimately were very likely to get outbid. So do you have a sense of, is this a baseball philosophy or is this ownership saying we are no longer going to be say the number two payroll in the game, which I think they were where they were one, two or very close to it for a pretty long time. And, and you know, what does that imply? If, as you said, and I agree, the market for the highest end players has moved to a, to a level where a lot of folks are going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uh, there, there's, there's a lot there. Um, I, I do think that there was a sense when, when Chaim Bloom was hired, it was like, okay, we've we've been the, the the Red Sox were the number one payroll team in baseball in 2018 and 2019 by a lot. Won a championship out of it. Um, that that was a reflection of the fact that ownership um tries to be deferential to uh to its head of baseball operations most of the time. I know that uh for instance, um the I, I don't think the Red Sox owners were crazy about uh about long-term deals for Nate Evaldi and Chris Sale, but that was uh, Dave Dombrowski's recommendation, strong recommendation. Uh, there was actually a pretty, the, the reason why Dave Dombrowski wasn't signed to an extension in the spring of 2019 was because there was a pretty good like little battle between uh, between Dave Dombrowski and the Red Sox owners about whether or not it was sensible to proceed in this path once they knew that they weren't going to re-sign Mookie Betts, who they had extended as far as 10 and 300 for, not going beyond that. Um, and they owners didn't love the risk of Chris Sale. Uh, Dave Dombrowski did. He thought that the way to get beyond uh, questions about the position playing core was to get really good starting pitching. And so essentially there was uh, a recognition that, OK, this is your recommendation. We'll do it. And if it doesn't work out and if it doesn't work out, you're accountable for that. And it didn't work out. And he ended up being fired that year. Um, and that was kind of a that was kind of where there was a a, a signature moment of the misalignment. Um, in terms of how the owners wanted to approach the longer view versus the shorter view. But they were open to making that kind of major commitment of five years and $145 million for sale because their head of baseball operations had recommended it. So if Chaim Bloom were to go to Red Sox owners and say, you know, I think that, you know, okay, you've given me a budgetary parameters to work with this offseason. They're significant. They're somewhere around the luxury tax threshold. That's my assumption anyway, right? Like I've been operating on the assumption that the Red Sox uh, are going to, they've been in that 230 million-ish, uh, th- 230 to $240 million space, essentially straight through from 2018. Like with, you know, ducking under uh, notably in 2020 when they traded Mookie um, and in 2021. But, you know, they're, they're, they seem comfortable in that range. 
Um, if Chaim Bloom were to say, I think that our best move is to concentrate the available resources that we have uh, and sign, you know, and sign Bogarts, or if it was we should concentrate them and sign Devers, like they would listen to that. They believe in, you know, they believe in accepting, they, they'll give feedback, they will give pushback, but they will say, like, it's your, you know, if this is your decision, this is your decision. Um, and so I, but I don't think that that's, I, I think that, uh, I think that Bloom is more of a kind of spread the table uh, person when it comes to, he's he's identified the fact that uh, the Red Sox entered this offseason thinking they would sign seven to nine major league players or adding seven to mm -hmm. nine major league players. That's a lot. They have a lot of needs. They were a bad yeah. team last year. They, well, they were, they were a team that performed poorly last year. They were a disappointing team last year. They need to try to upgrade in a lot of different areas. Um, and so I, I think that there's, I think that he, he does prefer like the bloom, the, the bloom approach is to kind of spread out risk and not to concentrate it too much in any one area of the team. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Do you think that the presence of, I mentioned Marcelo Mayer, who was the Red Sox first round draft pick a uh, year and, oh God, a year and a half ago already. 2021, uh, way, way long oh ago. Yeah. Yes, right? Um, and Nick York from the year before, who had a, their first rounder from the year before, had a great 2021 season, but kind of very, really disappointing, I think, 2022 season. But I know the Red Sox still very much believe in him as well. And, Mayor's a true shortstop. York is not a great second baseman, but that's where he's going to play, I think. Maybe. You think the, That'll be an interesting I, Maybe. Yeah. Yes. I'm trying to be a little bit optimistic here, but I, I've seen York at second. It's not – he for a second baseman, he's got a good swing. Yeah, right. Um, right. right. And so let's – but say that those are – Mayor's a shortstop. I don't really have a whole lot of doubt about that. Say that York is a second baseman. Do you think that those two guys being there – Finishing last year in high A, so they are not at all likely to figure in in the Red Sox plans for 2023, but you could think that they'll be up at some point in 2024. Do you think that they factored in at all? Because I would argue for a small market team, sure, you absolutely have to consider something like that. But if you're, you know, if you're the Phillies, you have Bryson Stott, who is a perfectly capable everyday shortstop, not a star, but can play shortstop and has enough power to be, I think, a solid average regular. But then you can go get Trey Turner, who's kind of a superstar. Yeah. You just do that, and you figure it out. I looked at this Bogarts thing, and I thought, God, are they really banking that much on Mayer? I like Mayer a ton, but he's an A-ball. Stuff happens. Do you think that factored in at all to their decision in, in, to not even come close to what the market was offering for Bogarts? 
I don't think so. I, I think that they, uh, I, I think that they, you know, they've been very explicit about saying, you know, two to three years from now is two to three years from now. That's not, that's not something that would impact the construction of the major league roster because of, you know, because of the uncertainties that exist within it. And, you know, there are, uh, there are elite prospects who flame out in the upper levels and, you know, Meyer hasn't gotten there yet. Uh, and um, he's shown a lot of wonderful, wonderful attributes. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I like I, I think that he's going to be an awfully fun one to watch uh, to watch develop. I think it was a great pick. But, um, yeah, I don't think that particularly given that for Bogarts, I, I think that there's an understanding uh, that became increasingly explicit over the course of his negotiations and scott boris even cited it which shocked me actually um that the that he's not being signed as a shortstop for the duration of the contract that at a certain mm -hmm. point he's going to end up being uh being somewhere else on the dirt in all likelihood um actually yep. the the funny thing about bogarts is that you know his defense made it a jump this year statistically right like with our publicly avail available metrics um but a lot of that improvement a lot of well he was about average at shortstop. Good for him. That represents mm -hmm. a considerable improvement. Uh, he yes. was way above average when shifted over to second base and playing uh, and playing on the other side of the bag. Um, and so, you know, there's. Uh, I, I think that there are ways around that. I, I don't think that the. Uh, I don't think that the that the lower levels middle infield uh, middle infield prospects in the Red Sox system, which is the strength of their system. There's a concentration yes. of up the middle guys that they have coming, but they're. They're all, with the exception of Sedan Rafaela, they're all almost. A, they're all a couple of years away. Um, I don't think that significantly impacted it. I think that um, I think that they just felt that they weren't going to that the bidding was going beyond a point where they would consider it rational. I'm glad you mentioned Rafael. Rafael, I'd love to get so your take on him. I know you followed him quite a bit. You cover the major league team. You've always had a strong interest in the prospects. You do going back to feats of Mookie when Betts <laughs> was still a prospect in the system. Um, and Rafael is he's not Mookie Betts, but he's very, very interesting. And the one thing you just mentioned, he he does have plenty of experience in the infield, but he moved pretty regularly to the outfield towards the end of the season. I got to see him briefly there and speaking to non-Red Sox folks who saw him. He might be an elite defensive center fielder, which I do think changes his outlook quite a bit. Not that I didn't like him necessarily in the infield, but it was always the where is he going to play? Where's the most value for him? And then the more he played center, the more I kept hearing. And like I said, caught, caught a small glimpse of it myself. It was, oh, hey, this this is where he plays. This guy might be really, really good. And then the you know suddenly the pressure on the bat, not that I don't think he's going to hit, but the pressure on the bat's a little bit better because he might be one of the better defensive center fielders in the major. So again, giving your overall, right? You can address the position thing specifically or just your overall sense of what Rafaela is likely to be as a prospect and maybe where the Red Sox see him in terms of timeline. Yeah, uh, super fun. Like he's he's a little guy. He's, you know, 5'9". He's probably about mm -hmm. a buck 60. Um, yeah, he's and, slight. Yeah. 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 And but and that's that's bigger than he was when he signed out of Curacao at 130 pounds. Um, but he had spent his career in the infield and always had this like fantastic energy. Like you would see him on the backfields and like he would just be kind of like bubbling, bubbling, bubbling. And uh, and so scouts loved him, even though he wasn't hitting very much at all. And even though, you know, he was just there was like, oh, maybe there's a, a nice utility projection. He's got a little speed. He's got some bat to ball, like terrible decisions about when to swing and take, but still hits, you know, still puts the ball in play. 
Um, fun guy to watch, good energy guy. You like that kind of guy on the bench. Uh, and then you're absolutely right. Beginning of 2021, late in spring training, uh, Darren Fenster, the Red Sox, out at that point, outfield coordinator, goes up to Rafaela and says, you know, we think that you're we're, we're going to try to broaden your profile a little bit, maybe give you a little bit of time in the outfield. We know that there's going to be a rocky, a bit of a transition period. Don't sweat that. Maybe we'll get you out there once a week or so. Okay, says Sidon Rafaela. Uh, and by about the second week of May, they were playing him four or five times. Remember, that season started, that minor league season in 2021 started in May. About two weeks into the season, he's already starting three, four, five times a week in the outfield because he's taken to it so seamlessly that they're already like, what is this? Um, and by the end of that season, he's looking like a plus defender. By the time 2022 rolls around, and he's probably taking, let's say he's doing four to five times a week in the outfield, one to two times a week in the on the dirt. Um, by the time this season rolls around, he's looking like a double plus guy because he's worked on his, you know, he he just has, uh, he's worked on his pre-pitch. So he's he's kind of like, he's kind of moving like an infielder on his pre-pitch. He's getting these unbelievable jumps. Uh, the range thus ends up being remarkable. Um, and yeah, he's, he's covering everything in the outfield. So, and along with that, uh, in 2022, he also starts hitting for power. Now he's in Greenville, which is a nice environment for people to juice the ball out, out of the park, but he's no longer <laughs> just hitting everything on the ground. He had made a slight swing adjustment, getting his hands to a higher position. Actually, uh, the, the way that he holds his hands, he is, let me establish, he's not Mookie Betts as a hitter. He is not Mookie Betts as a hitter. But there's some visual similarities to him in terms of like how the swing setup works. Um, he, so he changed he changed how he holds the bat, got to a position where he was more cleanly getting to the ball, and all of a sudden he's hitting enough hard line drives, uh, enough you know enough enough balls at about 100 miles an hour or more that he's also he's hitting a ton of it. He's getting a ton of extra base hits, um, a goodly number of home runs. He's a 2020 guy in the minors. Uh, it's a kind of shocking offensive season to complement with terrible plate discipline, I should add, that raises concerns mm -hmm. about whether or not it can hold. But uh, along with this elite defense that says everyday, everyday player in the future, um, likely everyday player in the future, he's going to need a little while in AAA this year. I think that in a best case scenario for the Red Sox, he's a consideration, you know, in August, September. Um, but he will be a consideration this year. He's on the 40 man and, uh, he's in the glove is fun to watch. He makes like, he makes, uh, he makes plays that other guys don't make. My last Red Sox question, we'll do one or two sort of general major league topics. Um, who, who's going to pitch for this team? Because kind of no matter what they do, they could have signed Xander Bogarts to the best, most team friendly contract in baseball history. They'd still have, I would argue, a pretty big rotation problem. And I'm not sure what they could do. Like that division's really hard, right? Yeah. It was super competitive last year. It's not going to be any less so this year, especially the Orioles haven't really made their big move yet. I kind of thought they'd go out and invest in some pitching, but they still might. They're still pitching out there. They still have time. They still have a lot of position player depth to trade potentially if they wanted to go get a starter. So, you know, and right now, has become, and, the, and their lineup has become like increasingly terrifying with like Rutschman getting further into his big league career. Gunnar Henderson was like, yep. Whoa, there were there were some, you know, there, he was flashing some stuff in, in his late season call up. Oh, absolutely. And I, there, there's more to come. Frankly. Yeah. And several guys who I think are fairly close to contributing at the major league level. I mean, they have surplus. They have surplus at shortstop of guys who look like they will be major league shortstops 
average or better major league shortstops. You, I don't know that there's any better sort of surplus to have yeah. than what the Orioles have right now. They have Henderson. Jordan Westbrook can play shortstop. Joey Ortiz can really play shortstop, and now it turns out he can hit. And, oh, Jackson Holiday, who finished the year in low A, but <laughs> he was first overall pick. Looks like he could move like reasonably quickly for a high school player. I'm certainly a pretty big believer in him. That's a lot of shortstop, and it puts them in a pretty good spot. And yeah. so I think if you're looking at the Red Sox – even just for this year, or you could argue a two-year look. You're thinking they might be fifth. I mean, that might be a last-place team. I think right now, the season started tomorrow, and we were trying to do odds. I would say they're a last-place team, and and it would be because the pitching isn't there, and it's not coming either. It's not like they have starting pitching coming quickly through the system that is going to maybe bolster that rotation. So where do they go from here in terms of? In terms, the pitching staff in general, but specifically the rotation. Yeah, uh, interesting one, right? Like, there's the forever question of how many starts do you get from Chris Sale this year, and if it's more than two, that's probably better than you know, that's better than what you had last year. Um, he, you know, so that's <laughs> that's a big bar, one. right? Well, I think that I think that their rotation is one that has like giant error bars, right? Like because if Sale is if Sale is healthy enough for twenty starts this year. Like that's a major upgrade. If he looks kind of Chris Salish, we have no idea whether or not that's actually possible uh, for him to look kind of Chris Salish, even though he was, you know, in in the glimpses we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, which aren't many, uh, there's, there's been a pretty good amount of promise. Um, and we have no idea what James Paxton can be, but he's back. At, he's, he should be healthy, uh, but for how long? So there's a pretty significant question there. Brian Bayo's call up was a significant one for them at the end of the year. Bayo was was awesome. Like at the big league level, his stuff looked fantastic. Um, you know, working high nineties sinker. Like as you know, he overhauled to become primarily a sinker, uh, a sinker slider changeup guy. Uh, as at late in his minor league career, where he went from being a having a very hittable four seamer to having this like just explosive. Uh, Luis Castillo-ish like sinker that uh, that has a chance to make him really good. So, but he's still going to be, you know, he's still going to be very early in his big league career. So we don't know exactly what that means he's going to be, but uh, he could be very good. He could be not that great. Garrett Whitlock is going to be in the rotation this year um, where again, huge swings, huge variances in terms of what he might be. Uh, the strike throwing is suits it, suits a starting rotation role. And the stuff was good enough last year, especially before he had this hip thing uh, to make him look like a starting pitcher. But then he had this hip thing and was working through that for uh, for the entirety of the year until he had surgery in September. So you have all of that. And then uh, which which suggests huge questions. There's there's talent, no doubt. They still need to sign someone else. They're explicit about the fact that and I, I, I didn't mention Nick Pavetta. He, he was the one guy who was in the rotation all year. But. Um, he was he looked like an all-star when he was pitching against anyone who wasn't in the AL East last year. That's somewhat problematic that when he was in the AL East, he had an ERA that was roughly three times what he did outside of the division. Um, yeah, not great. Not great. And the, the familiarity is only going to increase unless he's working on adding a pitch or something this offseason. So uh, the rotation has the, the rotation is, I think, a, a you know, something of a concern. With it, there's there is talent, there is upside, there's potential. Uh, they're still looking to add to it, but they're going to need guys to kind of perform towards the high end of their projections if they want to, uh, if they want to have a legitimate shot of contention. In terms of depth beyond that, I think that they do feel 
first of all, like they've seen Bayo and Hauk successfully transition to the big leagues, which is a big sign for an organization that did a terrible job of developing <laughs> for 15 yep. years, right? Like, well, for, for, for a full decade, at least, let's say. Um, and so they're now starting to have that combination of scouting and player development um, where they're getting pitchers to figure out what components of what they do allows them to be good. So that's, that's really significant for them. Uh, there's, uh, they're, they believe in the wave of triple of pitchers they'll have in AAA. Brandon Walter, who has uh, who has really good stuff, um, Delaware kid, healthy, yeah, you know, mighty blue hen man. Um, yeah, we and, don't have a lot. We gotta gotta root for him. Absolutely, uh, and rightly so. Like a you know a twenty sixth round pick. It's a guy who like there was for like a thousand dollars right coming off Tommy John. Yeah, yeah. there's it's no a great story. There's no draft right. Would he have gone to indie ball? I don't know. Um, so he. So they they like they like the possibility of him. They like Chris Murphy, who's going to be opening the year in AAA, um, who they see as being you know a decent back end starter. Uh, uh, you know Ward would have uh, Thad Ward would have factored into that mix, but they didn't protect him, which is uh, which is a choice. Um, and you know he he could have been like middle reliever or back end starter, depending on how the stuff played back up coming off of Tommy John. But he's not a consideration anymore. Um, and Brian Mata, who. Uh, again, speaking of huge variants, not sure if he's ever going to throw enough strikes to be a starter, but if he does throw strikes, then the upside is really quite interesting. Last question for you, uh, just moving away from the Red Sox too, we've seen a lot of really significant, mostly signings. I think yesterday's trade, uh, the three-way deal that sent Sean Murphy from Oakland to Atlanta and Milwaukee inserted themselves, really the first trade of any significance that we've seen so far. Yeah, and it got weird, which is great. Like, this is a great start to the trade season. Oh my God, yeah. Oh yeah, more. More of those. They're way more fun to discuss, way more fun just flat out for me to write about. Um, You know, I was at over a thousand words like it was nothing, and I was like, no, I'm I'm not even (laughs) done. I can keep going. This is great. Has there been a move, you can talk about the trade if you want, that you've particularly liked, thought was particularly interesting, thought particularly good in terms of moving the needle for a specific team in what we've seen so far this winter? Oh, uh, you know, I should have uh, I should have thought through that uh, ahead of time. I mean, that's OK. I sprung it on you. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's very enjoyable. Uh, it's always good to be. Sp- I mean, shoot, like seeing the seeing the Phillies with with Trey Turner. Like I, I realized that we saw it to a degree uh, when Turner and Harper were already paired in uh, in Washington. But I mean, my gosh, like having, you know, having the real Muto Turner Harper lineup. Like you think about just, you know, just spectacular players who all of whom have almost Hall of Fame cases, um, you know, or potential Hall of Fame pads uh, in each of their respective positions. Like that's pretty entertaining. Kind of got to got to love the accumulation of just star level talent. Um, you know, certainly that that one stands out. And then on top of that, I mean, you've got to you've got to. I guess credit the Rangers for boldness in terms of saying, you know what, we're mm-hmm. not going to back like. They're not backing away. That thing that you talked about, where you were asking about, did turn, did uh, did Trevor Story sour the Red Sox on you know on big moves? And the answer to yeah. me was was no. But they still haven't proven mm-hmm. that. Well, the Rangers proved that they did not get soured on big money right. deals. They signed they signed Seager. They signed Semyon. Five hundred million dollars. Last place finish. Doesn't matter. Let's throw another you know. Let's throw another couple hundred million dollars into the free agent market. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's, I think that that that's, that's pretty fascinating. I mean, it's just, 
the ambition of teams that we don't usually associate with being at the top of the market and how that's pushing overall spending across baseball, I think is uh, it's, it's staggering. I, I think that it's staggering to see teams, you know, to see teams just making that choice that we're going to, you know, we're going to go all in and we're going to be unapologetic about it. And, you know, we aren't paying attention to what our, you know, to what our market size is or, you know, or what our audience or what our, well, of course they're paying attention to it, but, um, you know, the moves are, the moves are not necessarily uh, directly proportional to, uh, to what we would associate with market size. And that's cool. I love that. Yep. I agree. Uh, my guest today has been Alex Spear of the Boston Globe. He is also the author of the 2019 book, Homegrown, about those 28 to those long, long ago world champion Red Sox from 2018. You can also follow out, follow Alex on Twitter, as long as Twitter is still standing, <laughs> at Alex Spear, S-P-E-I-E-R. Alex, thank you so much for joining me. Great to see you, Keith, and uh, and thank you also for bringing a cat into the uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah, he's here. He's sleeping now. Actually, he's yeah. happy. So I guess he liked what you had to say. I, I'm I'm very. I put people to sleep all the time, Keith. <laughs> That's all for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. I believe I will have one more show before the holidays, so I will not quite sign off and wish you all a happy holidays just yet, but I will say if you're doing holiday gatherings, please be careful. There's a whole bunch of viruses out there. I happened to be in a hospital emergency room recently for uh, just protect our privacy, but a relative was there went to see, and there were a whole lot of people in hallways waiting for beds. Everything was backed up and delayed and according to the folks there it's just it's there's so many people struggling with these respiratory viruses it's not just covid it's covid it's the flu it's rsv it's others so be careful out there it's pretty bad and i think it's likely to get worse before it gets better so i like having you as listeners it's a lot better if you're still alive stay safe As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.